0: Welcome to the North Sound Church podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Let me just look at you, see who's here. Here. Oh, Such a joy. So, Barry and Barb are in Florida at the Timothy Initiative Conference, and then they're going to spend a few days resting. So, yay. Isn't it lovely when our pastor gets to rest? So, he's there. And then um, I have a confession to make, and that is that I'm using a device for the first time to go through my sermon, which... I know there's some people who are so proud of me. I'm, I'm a bit terrified myself, but it's good to learn new things, isn't it? So here I am, learning something new, even as you watch. So today we are continuing in our Life Together series, and today we're going to focus on what it means as individuals and as a community to follow Christ through what we call in the church, discipleship. So often when we talk about discipleship, we kind of jump right to what do we do? So we, um, we read our Bibles, we pray, we serve, we share the love of Christ with those around us. Those are those, those things that come that are important for us. And they're important when they create space for God to work his continued transformation in our lives. And there's a much longer list of practices that we can do. Um, There's books written about it, of course. Um, But all those are designed to help us create space for God so he can do his work in us. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath, and so when we can incorporate practices into our lives that help encourage us, draw us closer to God, and create that soft soil in our hearts for God to work, then we're on that path. So today, I want to focus on who the first unlikely disciples were and who we are today as Christ followers. So in Jewish culture, just to give us a little background here, disciples of a rabbi were typically chosen at a very early age. They were chosen because they were male. They were chosen because they demonstrated an acuity for study of Scripture. They took on the yoke... Or the unique teachings of that rabbi and followed him taking on the same dust as he took on as their teacher walking around and also probably smelling like him because they spent so much time together and so if we think of Jesus as our perfect rabbi the author and perfecter of our faith he calls us to be his disciples Regardless, though, of our gender, our ethnic background, our performance ability, our acuity at study, and he invites us to follow him in community with others being close to him so that our lives take on his yoke, his smell, and the dust of his feet. And so we're going to read first in Mark 3 how Jesus invited his disciples to follow him. In verses 13 through 19, it reads, He went up the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve to be with him and to be sent out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John's brother, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the two of them the name meaning sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaan, and Judas Iscariot, who would hand him over." Now, I appreciate that most of the Gospel writers list the names of the disciples, including fun facts about them. These disciples that were appointed by Jesus were possibly still around when the Gospels were written, except for Judas, of course. And the writers would have known, or certainly known of them, as they were writing. Some of the readers may have known them very well, And so we glean something by what we read in the scriptures and the gospels about them. But I wonder if the writer and the readers were able to put even more meaning into the ways that these apostles, these disciples, were described. Because they either knew them or they certainly knew of them the good and the bad. Peter, we know that in his anxiety, perhaps, or his desire for authority, he often spoke too soon. But he also was the first to proclaim Christ as the Messiah. John and his brother James, who were nicknamed Sons of Thunder, that kind of suggests that perhaps they had hot tempers and maybe they used foul language. Nathaniel was prejudiced and cynical. When he was first invited to follow Jesus, he said, Could anything good come from Nazareth? And we could go on with the others, but we also know that Jesus actually invited Judas Iscariot, his soon-to-be betrayer, in to be a part of his inner circle. I appreciate that the writers didn't candy coat the reality that these men weren't chosen by the Jewish rabbis and for good reasons according to their standards. And I'm encouraged that Jesus, our perfect rabbi, did choose them. So there's a prayer by Father Carl Arico, who's a Catholic priest, and where he reminds us that God doesn't love us because we are good. God loves us because God is good. Our life in Christ from the moment we surrender to him is a life of response to his goodness and love. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that we have this treasure of the gospel, this truth and this glory of the gospel in jars of clay, pots with cracks through which the light of God's spirit shines through. When Jesus called his first disciples, he called them knowing that they were cracked pots. And when he calls us today, he also calls us knowing that we are cracked pots. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are invited to follow Christ, the one who knows who we are, and to live into his rule and leadership in our lives to take upon us what he taught and what he embodied in his time on earth trusting that just as he said just as he said he was there in gentleness and humbleness of heart he still is with us leading us with gentleness and humbleness of heart And so, as we look at Mark 3, 13 through 19, there are four characteristics that I want us to think about this morning in our relationship to Jesus as our teacher. We can see from that passage that we are called, we are wanted, we are with him in community with others, and we are sent. So, first of all, we are called by Christ. Christ. Now this word can be translated appoint or make. So remember in Matthew 4, when Jesus says to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. There's a commitment on the one who appoints to produce, construct, form, and fashion that which they are calling the other for. Jesus is saying, Come, and I will form you into the follower that I am inviting you to be. Jesus saw in them who they were at that moment in time, but he also saw how he could shape their lives into a clearer reflection of God. The work to which he was calling them or appointing them, that was important. But even more important was the work of transformation that they would experience because they followed him. Jesus invited Peter, even though he was audacious and always the first one to speak. He invited Nathaniel, even though he was prejudiced and critical. He invited James and John, even though they schemed for power in the kingdom. And he invited Simon the Zealot, who was known for causing trouble around issues that he was passionate about. And Matthew, a tax collector, and Judas, as we mentioned, the one who was a thief and would later betray Jesus and his criteria haven't changed since his first disciples. We are called because he is generous and loving enough to want to see us transformed and to use his kingdom as a place of transformation for us. So have you ever reached out to do something to help others and found out that at the end of the day, you were the one that was helped, and you were the one that was most changed by the experience? And do we go into those places where we serve with a hope and a posture that not only will we help, but maybe we will learn from, some, from someone else, someone different for us, from us, and be willing to be transformed in that process of learning the story of another. Jesus is inviting us, each of us, to come, and I will form you into the follower that I am inviting you now to be. This is good news for all of us, especially if you felt marginalized because you're not enough. Good enough, wise enough, powerful enough, smart enough, important enough. Paul reminds the Corinthians of the danger of forgetting the basis of their call, thinking that somehow they earned it when he writes, Consider your own calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. We are enough for Jesus' invitation because he calls us as we are, knowing that he will work in and through us in our journey with him. Paul reminds Timothy of this as well in his second letter. So Timothy was a young leader in a church there, and Paul was mentoring Timothy along his way. Paul reminded him that it was Christ who saved and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Jesus invites us to step into our calling with a reliance on him to continue the work of calling. When we accept this call, we are invited by him to live into his purpose and his grace, a grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It was always God's intention that our path of following Jesus, our path of discipleship, would be paved with grace. Grace, favor based on God's goodness, not ours, on God's desire to work in and through us for his good purposes. Remember our passage in Mark, Jesus called those. Jesus calls each of us individually, yet in the context of community. To be called is not an exclusive invitation. As Christ followers, we are invited to not just live into what God has for us individually, but also to create space for others and to encourage them as they also accept a call from Jesus. Years ago, when I first sensed God calling me to ministry, I was walking back from Western Washington University's campus, to go Vikings. I was just about to graduate and wasn't quite sure what I was going to do next. And the idea of seminary came to mind. But I had never seen a woman in church leadership And I had no vision for what I could do as a woman with a seminary degree. But that thought was a seed planted as God started his call in me. So fast forward through a career in the business world, getting married and having kids, bringing my experiences in business into the church, into a church that was growing rapidly at the time. And in that, I began to sense that God was calling me to ministry as a pastor. God had gently guided me along a scenic route of following him to where I was able and willing to step into a call that I was really unfamiliar with. The first leader that I shared my um, my sense of call with dismissed it saying he didn't believe that God called women into pastoral ministry. But fortunately, the second leader that I shared my sense of call with affirmed it and encouraged me to pursue it. There's a lot to this story, but I do want to say that that first leader maybe as a response to the conversation that we had but maybe not but he actually revisited his theology willing to let god transform his understanding and he came out the other end realizing that god indeed calls women and men based on gifting and purpose not on gender so what else do i want you to get out of this story That call is an ongoing process, and we don't have one chance to live into it. That sometimes our sense of call is not always affirmed by the first person, but if it is of God, it will be affirmed by another. And that God is continuing to transform us, even if we feel like we're already living into the call that he has for us. Transformation continues to be a part of our invitation to follow Christ. So what has Jesus been calling you to? And what is your next faithful step? Is there someone in your circle of influence that you can encourage to step into a call that they may be sensing so that the body of Christ can be built up? Secondly, we are wanted by Christ. It says in Mark, he went up the mountain and called to him those he wanted. Jesus used that same word with the religious leaders when he quoted from the Old Testament saying, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. And he used it when the leper came to him and said, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus replied, I do want to, you are healed. As his followers, Jesus wants us every step of the way. He loves us. He's fond of us. He delights in us, and his intention is to be with us. Jesus delights in healing, Jesus delights in compassion, and Jesus delights in us. Is this hard for us to grasp? I know it's difficult for me because I'm so accustomed to putting conditions on my worthiness rather than to trust that I am wanted simply for who I am. But to be called by Christ is also to be wanted, to be loved, to be delighted in, to have the God of the universe be fond of me, of us. We never outgrow our need to be wanted. Think of the times when Jesus' disciples acted or spoke or thought in audacious ways. John and James wanted places of honor on either side of Jesus in this new kingdom that they were just beginning to learn about. Peter wanted to establish the kingdom on the mountain where Elijah and Moses showed up. And then Peter warned Jesus to stop talking about the truth of his purpose on earth that would require him to die. The disciples fought about who would be the greatest. They all came from interesting backgrounds, and these are the people that Jesus wanted. We could go through the laundry list of our own stories here in this room that we bring with us this morning, our histories, our current frame of mind. How are we how even doing this morning? Maybe we feel close to Jesus this morning, and maybe we feel far away, anxious, weary, checked out. But from wherever we are, Jesus wants us. Remember, he loves us because he is good. We aren't the last one picked in gym class in God's economy. We are wanted. We are valued. We are an object of his love. There are two parables that I think speak speak to this. I mean, there's more than that, I'm sure. But the two that I want to talk about are in Matthew 13, where Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value... He went and sold all that he had and bought it. So for most of us, I think we read this as we are to value our faith in Christ above everything, willing for us to give up everything so that we can follow him. But what if we read it where we are that treasure? We are that pearl of great Great price, and Jesus sacrificed everything, including his life, because he wants it. He wants us. What gets in the way of believing we are wanted? That in God's economy there isn't a hierarchy based on who's chosen first, nor a scarcity of love and acceptance that we're all competing for. One of the characteristics of this invitation to discipleship is to believe that we are all wanted. As I said, delighted in, loved unconditionally, and eternally by Christ. I believe that when we let it sink in, that we are called out of God's goodness and not our own for our transformation and the transformation of the world, and coupled with that the truth that we are wanted by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we can live into the character of Christ and the invitation to be his disciples. And that leads us into the third characteristic. As Jesus' disciples invited to follow him, we are characterized by a community that's united in Christ. It says in Mark 3, and he appointed 12 to be with him. We are invited to be with Christ together. Community is a part of the discipleship process. I think this is where the rubber meets the road, where the truth of our identity as followers of Christ gets hammered out. If we are involved with others on the road with Christ and are willing to engage wholeheartedly with them, we will have opportunities to be transformed. And this is God's intention for us. To be with Jesus in discipleship requires us to be in relationship with others on the journey, because this is not a solo trip. And our being with others is where discipleship gets messy. That's why the commandment to love one another as I have loved you is the most difficult command that Jesus gave us. That's why the letters of the apostles were included in the Bible, because each one of those letters is addressing young churches needing to learn how to love one another as God loves them. They needed to remind the disciples that had been called by Jesus, chosen by, their, by his purpose, not theirs, and loved by him, that they were the people who were to bring their whole selves to the discipleship journey, and learn together what it meant to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed in community. To not just look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. To spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I could go on and on, because the letters are filled with admonitions and encouragements on what it looks like for us to live in community in our discipleship journey. But how do we respond to this uncomfortable invitation to discipleship in community that can often happen? There's different ways, I think. Sometimes we try to exert what we think is our place of authority over others. We use our power that we might have or our knowledge maybe to soothe our own pride or fear or discomfort. Sometimes we withdraw, not because we are transformed, but because it's easier to walk away and stay the same than to stay in the hard conversation with curiosity and humility. Sometimes we surround ourselves with people that we like and with whom we are like-minded. But Jesus' disciples were not united in ideology or perspective or ethnic origin Each came with their own lenses through which they saw the world and the kingdom to which Jesus was inviting them. His words throughout the gospel spoke to each one of them and those coming after them, us, and his design that we work out our discipleship journey together. He was willing to give up his life for us, his treasure, and he commanded us to live it. Live that out as well as we love one another as he has loved us. So when was the last time you experienced transformation through a group that you were a part of? When you go into your group throughout the week, what is your posture? Are you prepared to learn something new, to experience something new? What do you bring to the group that perhaps no one else might bring that you need to share? I lead small groups for um, Fuller Seminary and their online classes, and because these are online classes, it means that the students are not just spread across the country, but also at times across the world, and so this quarter um, especially, or this quarter I should say, it's very typical actually, I've got students who are pastors. I have students who are um, in, in inner city parachurch ministries. Um, I have a student who's, in, who's a South African who is working there. I have a, a Korean man who is a tent maker in Abu Dhabi. And so you can only imagine the different responses I get from them on reflections around what stewardship means, what honoring the body means, what um, what generosity means. And we create this value in the group that the value is to listen, to ask questions for clarity, to avoid giving unsolicited advice. And the invitation to them is to learn from one another. And I will tell you, I never leave one of those groups, without feeling challenged to think differently and perhaps to expand my sense of what God is doing both in my life and in the world. We never outgrow that invitation to learn from one another and be transformed in community with one another. I want to read for you again what John read for us this morning because it is such a beautiful way that we can live in community with others as a way of growing in our discipleship. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, there we go, chosen and wanted. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As disciples of Christ, we are chosen, we are wanted, and we are invited to let that come to full bloom in community with others, with Christ alone as our center and our guide. And it is out of that place of our own transformation where we have fleshed out together as best we can Christ's command to love one another that Christ then sends us into the world. And so back to Mark 3, he went up the mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. The fourth characteristic of Christ's invitation is to be sent out into the world. This fourth aspect of our discipleship to be sent out into the world is shaped and informed by the first three aspects. Our understanding that we've been called because of the goodness of God, not our own, so that God might transform us and continue to transform us. It's by our understanding that we are wanted, we are loved, we are intentionally pursued because of God's unconditional love. And by our understanding that this journey with Christ is intended to be lived out in community, even when it's messy, because it reminds us that we are always on this journey of transformation with each of us having much to offer and much to receive. And so this is what informs us as we are sent into the world. Sometimes I think when we go out into the world, we want to paint the Christian life In inaccurate ways we want the invitation to discipleship to be prettier than the one that Christ extended we armor up to look the best we can so that people don't see that we are imperfect followers who struggle with many of the same things that those outside our armor do sometimes we struggle we wish we had more though we know that we follow an infinitely generous God we realize that we still experience grief when we lose something or someone we love because we are human and God desires to meet us there rather than have us cover it up. We still experience anxiety and wonder what the world is coming to even though we follow the creator and sustainer of all. Or maybe we still want the arrogant around us to get their comeuppance even though we know we are called to be compassionate. How does our message in the world change when we bring our whole selves to our conversation with others? The selves that have been called to a journey of transformation, selves that are unconditionally wanted and loved, and selves that know how hard it is to live out the reality of God's command to love one another in a broken world. Our lives preach with or without words. Our lives cast out demons, not just the real ones, but the unseen powers and principalities that Paul talks about that create and sustain patterns and systems that leave some people marginalized. When we choose love, And continue to let Christ's character seep into every corner and every closet of our lives and transform us. The message that Jesus sends us out into the world with will be the one that more and more reflects the heart and the aroma and the light of our rabbi. To establish the first church, Jesus sent out a motley crew of imperfect but called and loved disciples who were brought into community with one another and continued to be transformed. And his criteria for disciples haven't changed. He calls each one of us to be transformed on the journey. He loves and delights in us every step of the way. He intends for us to find community where we can hammer out his command to love one another. And he invites us to take our full selves in perfect but growing lives, the light into the world, the light that shines through our cracks. Jesus' light will shine through us out of the darkness. We will see and we will shine his light. And the darkness around us will not overcome it. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you that you invite us to come, that you assure us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so with gratitude, Lord, that you've called us, that you want us, that you've created community for us, and that you now send us. Thank you for that. And Lord, may we live into that, into that reality, knowing that you are our gentle and humble leader. Show us where we can grow. Show us where we can encourage others in their growth as well. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.